Well, thank you guys for being with us, and um, I'm really excited about this message today. And I, I, all I ask, my biggest concern about what I'm going to share today is that you're not taken back by the, uh, the technicalities of the words that we're going to read today from Hebrews and go, you know what, 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 are, what are some of those words? There, there's some theological words, and, and I want to make sure every time I minister that I'm able to, because I personally need this myself, to simplify things in a way that we can take them and we can do something with them. And we're going to read a passage uh, from Hebrews chapter 7 all the way through Hebrews chapter 8 this morning. And as we read that, um, just think about one key word, intimacy. The end of the whole service, the end of this whole message is all about one thing. God drawing you to a place of fellowship and intimacy with him. And you're going to see how he allows us to experience that with him. No matter how well you're performing and how well you're be behaving, there's a place where God says, I'm drawing you closer to a place of intimacy. One of the things that I've watched happen, and I hear it in a lot of people's language, is this idea of, I just want to grow as a believer. How many want to grow as a believer? Ah, trick question. You all raised your hands. And what happens is we start to measure growth based upon one thing. I was this way one day or last year or 10 years ago and now I'm this year or this, this way this year. And so we start to measure growth based upon what? Function. It's very, it's very, it's very deceiving because we start to now have a goal to what? Grow in God. And so we look at the only way that I know how to grow is to change the way that I'm acting. And I want to just reframe it for you for just a moment because it's important with all the words I'm going to share this morning. And I have a lot of words to share this morning. Is I want you to think about discovery more than you think about growth. Is that we are all on a journey. Not of getting somewhere. God is not like, Justin, come on. come on. Oh man, when are you going to grow up? No. He says, I want you to discover more about who I am to you and who you are to me. And as a result of me going after discovery, I will grow and I will see my life change. But my goal is not to be a different behavior, behavior type person. I'm not just trying to change the way that I act and the way that I treat people and the way that I talk to people. No, I'm trying to discover what is this relationship all about? And when I started to do that, the pressure to measure myself lifted off my shoulders. And now it was all about discovering this amazing God that I get to relate with and who he's called me to be. Are you following me? So when you think about those two words, always just kind of correct yourself and say, you know what, this is not about how much you grow because what happens when we want to grow is we just... Feed ourselves knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. And the more I know, the more I'm going to grow. And then the more, no, it's not about that. It's about discovering who this God is for us. Just recently, I asked the Lord this question. I said, God, when is it time for me to begin to teach about function? I know we crave the how-tos and what-to-dos. And as a pastor, for doing it as long as we have for 18 months of just going over this whole idea of relational before functional and the gospel... I begin to ask that question, Lord, when, when is it time to begin to 
begin to teach on function. And this is the thought that came to my mind, and this has helped me personally as a pastor tremendously. And it was this, if the things that you were saying are true, Justin, how would a person act? Think about that. It helped me to realize, just keep on preaching what is true about them, what is true about God, what is true about how God sees them. And if they believe that's true, watch how they change the way that they act. If you truly believed you were forgiven, guess how you would relate to God? If you truly believe that it was true that the mercies of God are brand new every day, guess what you would receive every single morning? If you truly believe you are a son or daughter of God that he is delighted in and that you are his beloved, how would you begin to act? And if you would just begin to believe the very things that are true already, your life and the function now comes from that. So rather than me telling you, hey, you need to go be nice to people and you need to go share the love of Christ with people. No, no, I want to, if it was true that God loved you so much and he wanted you to be a channel of his love to somebody else, how would it, how would it change your life? And so these things that I'm speaking, they have the power to transform each and every one of us. But today I'm going to dive into a subject that I know is difficult to not complicate. And the failure to understand the new covenant, that's our subject for today and for a number of weeks, is one of the greatest hindrances to the success of any believer. If you do not understand what this new covenant is, maybe, maybe it's a new term for you even as you're listening to me, and you don't fully understand it, you're going to miss something so important when it comes to living this Christian life because how many have tried to be a good Christian but found yourself to struggle even at being a good Christian? Yep, and then so it's, it's a journey that we're just like, oh my gosh, I'm just so bad at this Christian thing. When you truly understand the new covenant, you won't even begin to think like that in those terms. Look at Hebrew or Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. This is just the first part of the, uh, the scripture. There's more to this verse, but it says that my people are destroyed for a what? A lack of knowledge. And so this lack of knowledge when it comes to the new covenant, it's hindering you. It's hindering each and every one of us from walking in the fullness and the freedom that we have when it comes to Christ. Many, maybe even you, Live with guilt, condemnation, and shame. That ought not to be. If you truly believed or knew what that verse says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you truly knew what the new covenant was like and who made that covenant with you and how he signed that covenant with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, you actually would never have to have another day experiencing guilt, shame, or condemnation. That's not just a pipe dream. And it doesn't mean you live perfectly not to experience those things. Because of a lack of understanding when it comes to these things, we begin to drift, as all of us do, very easily back into a place of function. Once a Christian understands this new covenant that they have with God the Father through Jesus Christ... You can begin to walk free from guilt, shame, and condemnation. Now, those three words may not be a big deal to you. Uh, what's the big deal about guilt? 
What's the big deal about condemnation and shame? Because it's keeping you from embracing what Jesus did for you. It's actually placing you and what you've done and what you haven't done above what Christ has done for each and every one of us. It's saying that what I can do today can trump what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And if that's the case, then we're believing something that's not true. I'm going to say a statement here, and I know it's going to be a strong one, but I truly, truly believe it, is that the only battle any one of us have is to, by faith, rest in our relationship with God. Many of us don't know how to rest when it comes to God. Many of us strive. Many of us want to make him happy. Many of us want him to be impressed or at least happy with how well we believe and how well we do. We sing songs about our commitment and our passion for him and about our devotion to him only to come across a day called Monday and go, what happened in that last 24 hours? Watch too much carnal football games, right? And now I'm back into this place. And so what happens is we try so hard to battle and strive to make this relationship with God better than we think it is. And so the only battle that every believer has is to remain by faith in the rest of God. There's a show that uh, my family, uh, we enjoy to watch called Survivor. And as you go throughout one of the, the games on Survivor, you get a thing called the immunity idol. And what that does is it allows you that nobody can vote you out that night when they go to a thing called tribal council. I want you to realize that the gospel has extended to all of us, not an idol, amen, but he's extended to us immunity. Now think about this. Immunity means the enemy can no longer accuse you of anything. You are immune from what? Guilt, shame, and condemnation. No longer do you ever have to receive something that Jesus received on the cross for you. You, are, you have been given an immunity from what? The fear of punishment, wrath, and justice of God. All right, we got one. Joe, it's going to trickle this way, okay? There's an immunity that he has given, and it says this. Ryan, you never, because you're my son... And because of what Jesus did for you, you never have to fear my punishment, my wrath, or my justice. And all he has to do is what? Receive it by, and now he is what? Immune. That is the radicalness of the gospel. And now the enemy begins to go... You know what you've done, and you know how God feels about that. So guess what? There's no way you can be sure about your salvation. And so we now begin to go back and forth and doubt whether or not, am I even saved? Does God truly delight in me? Am I truly his beloved? Why? Because the enemy is whispering, and all we have to show him is our immunity. And it's that immunity that we have that allows us now to what? Live for him. I'm not immune so I can go, oh good, now I can go do whatever I want. No, the Holy Spirit is there and he will slap you upside the head in a very grace-filled way. But that's why he's here. Jesus was like, I had three years with them, I'm done. Holy Spirit, it is your job for eternity to die to work with them. And so what happens is I'm immune. I'm walking with an immunity. 
From what? I never have to fear God's punishment in my life. I never have. Does he discipline? Yes. And does he correct? Yes. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you, to prod you, to pr provoke you, do all those amazing things. But I am no longer fearing whether I'm saved or not. I'm not fearing whether or not I screwed up enough. I'm not fearing whether or not God is still in love with me. There's no longer any of that because I have an immunity. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. So this is the passage that we're going to begin with. And you'll see why I said what I said at the beginning of Try to stay focused with me when we read these words. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Carter, Johnny really wants to impress you today with how well he does the words, okay? So he made that very clear to me today. Uh, so on, uh, on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandments. You're like, you guys lost me already, right? <laughs> because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law, what does it say? It made... There's no TV over there. It made nothing perfect. So the law that we're talking about, which is God's righteous standard for living, this is he only accepted perfection. The law was given to declare his righteous standard, but it could not what? It could make no one or nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bring. Now, let me just tell you, the reason why, and I appreciate Mike texted me this week, and he said he was praying for me and he says hey whatever God told you to speak don't let it go because I wrestled with this just reading this was like this is going to be a chore like this matters to your life you're like how does this help me with being a parent or a mother or a husband or a, a business owner this matters greatly so you can live completely free from the things that plague us all the time in our mind on the other hand there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God, we're speaking of Jesus now, and inasmuch as he was, not, he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an, with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn, and he will not, the word we lent there means he will not change, you are a priest forever. The Lord has made this oath about Jesus, according to the order of Melchizedek. Stay with me, okay? Please, do not zone out. You're like, man, this has nothing to do with the Bears game. So, by so much more, Jesus has become a, this is, this is a key word. We're going to spend a little bit of time in just a few moments on this one word. Jesus has become a guarantee of a what? A better covenant that they're making. Now, the very moment that Jesus was raised from the dead, the old covenant was done with. And a new covenant was now granted to every single person in this room. Please, I know this is right now. This is so important to your life, okay? I'm going to say that over and over today is the very moment Jesus rose from the dead, the old covenant was fulfilled. He fulfilled what? The standard of perfection that God had to have somebody fulfill. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the old covenant requirements, and therefore that old covenant can be put aside, and a new one could be granted to those who could never fulfill the old one. So as believers, I am now dead to what? The old covenant, to the law 
that would accuse me and condemn me and reveal my sin. And I'm alive to a new relationship with God. So I have been given new permissions as a son. When my daughter walks in our house, this is her, okay? This is just want to show you how she walks in the house, okay? She walks in the house, <laughs> right? She's home, right? Now, I, gave her, I didn't give her that permission, but she has full permission to act like that when she walks in her house. Now, she has to come back and pick it all up, of course. But what I'm talking about is when Lena walks in our house, this is her. Why? Because she's not my, she may do that at her house, like Summer does, but she's not my daughter. And so Summer has permissions because she's my daughter. I have now been given new permissions because of what Jesus did for me. I have permission to what? Access God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, without fearing whether or not he's going to let me access him. That is a permission I have, whereas before, you couldn't. Even the priest could not enter the holiest holies. The high priest had to. He was only one person. And he actually had to have a blood sacrifice before he could ever enter that place called the Holy of Holies. But now there's a new covenant that says every single one of you have permission to receive the Spirit of God. That The same Spirit that raised Christ in the dead now dwells within you. You can receive it. I have permission to receive the anointing of God, the call of God on my life. I have permission to what? To enjoy God. Oh, if I could help people in anything in my life, it would be one thing. Learning how to enjoy God. Not only do I have new permissions, but I also have full access. Full access to what? Account, an account that has been given everything I would need. Unlimited amounts from Jesus. So when Jesus died on that cross, and I know you've heard me say these words before, but when he died on the cross, he took my shame and he gave me his forgiveness. And he took my, my guilt and he gave me his freedom. And he took my condemnation and he gave me his righteousness. And he gave me all his mercy. And he gave me all his peace. And he gave me all his joy. And it was transferred into this account where every single day I can access an account that says, I need joy today, God. And I don't have to ask him to give it to me. He says, I've already given you my joy. So just what? Receive it. I have now access to everything that Jesus had access to while he was on this earth. So a covenant has profound implications on us, and it is the most solemn, binding, intimate contract known in the Bible. There's nothing more intimate, more binding, and more solemn than what is called a covenant. And so a covenant is an agreement. Victoria, could you stand up? And Betty, could you stand up? A covenant is an agreement between Victoria and between Betty that binds them together. You guys can shake hands or we can kill a lamb if you have one. <laughs> it binds them together, I want you to see this, in closeness of fellowship. It is a covenant that is made between them two saying, we now, based upon promises from both parties, have agreed to certain things. We have come into one covenant together okay you guys can be seated it means even oneness so this 
right, what you just saw is she promises, if you do this, Betty, I will give you this. I promise you this. But God doesn't need our promises. And why doesn't God need our promises? Because we will always, what, fail to keep our word. And that's why he made a covenant based upon a one-sided promise from him to us. The old covenant was transactional. And you know how many of us still live in a transactional relationship with God? Many of us. So God, if I pray today, will I be closer to you? God, if I give more, will you give more? God, if I do more for you, will your favor be on my life? God, if I bless more people, will you bless me more? And so what happens is I now transact with God. Everything I'm doing, I'm hoping that God will do something more in return. And guess what happens when we do something and we don't feel like he returned the favor? We get disappointed. And we wonder, God, how could that happen to so-and-so? They faithfully serve. They faithfully give. They worship you. They serve at the homeless ministry. And yet that happened to them? God, how could you allow that to happen as though their transaction caused them to deserve something better than somebody who didn't? And so we live in transactional relationship with God all the time. Lord, if I exchange this, what will you give me in return? And he wants to remind us, I gave you everything. Like I gave you my son, everything else comes with him. Now, live for me not to get anything. Live for me because I gave you everything. And I'm no longer transacting with God. Like, that is one of the most freeing things for me, that when I wake up, I don't have to have one transaction with God to get something from him. I wake up and go, you've given to me everything? <laughs> what did I do? Nothing. It's what my son did for you, and I love you so much. Just receive, and just believe what I've done for you. And now, how would you live, Justin, if you actually believed everything that Jesus deserved was actually given to you? I'm sure it would stop a lot of complaining. It would stop a lot of worrying. It would stop a lot of fear. It would stop a lot of comparing ourselves to everybody else. Why? Because we weren't in the mode of transacting with God. We were in the mode of receiving from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read about five verses here. It says, he, I just want you to see how this is established. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. He is the one who has enabled us to represent his new covenant. This is a covenant not written, not of written laws, but it's of what? The Spirit. The old way ends in death, and the new way, the Holy Spirit gives life. Look at verse 9. Good job, Johnny. Carter is very, very pleased with you right now. <laughs> if the old covenant which brings, what does the old covenant do? Are you guys seeing this? The old covenant was God's righteous standard. Was the law holy? Yes. Was the law perfect? Yes. Is the law still actually important? Yes, because it reveals sin so somebody can know their need for a savior. That's the purpose of the law. The law is for the unrighteous. The gospel is for the, uh, the righteous. And it says the old covenant which brings condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the new covenant which makes me right with God? You do not get partially right with God when you get saved. You get 
100% right. There is no degrees of rightness. There are degrees of faith and trust in God, but there are no degrees of how right I am before God. He says, you are as righteous before God as I am because I give you my righteousness. Now look at this. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new covenant. So if the old covenant, which has been set aside, was full of glory, then the new covenant, which remains how long? Forever, has a far greater glory. Since this new covenant gives us what? Such confidence we can be very... This is not bold in witnessing. This is not even bold in praying for people. This is boldness before my Father. I want you to think about a sin you've committed recently. Let's not do this morning, okay? Let's just put it a little bit in the past, last night, okay? No, think about a sin that, that gets you, that makes you feel guilty and condemned. And what happens is, because we become self and sin conscious, we have very little confidence before who? Before God. And so why would I, if I have no confidence to come before God, why do you think so many people struggle to have an intimate prayer life with the Father? It's not about discipline. How many have tried that one? I'm going to drink lemon juice when I wake up to try to stay awake so I can go and pray. I'm going to pray three times a, or three, three hours a day. And so what we do is we try to set up something to get us ready for a prayer life with God. No, the reason why it lacks is because you lost confidence before God. Why? Because you're focused on yourself and how inadequate you are. But it says that the new covenant, when you embrace it, I have what? Confidence to come before the presence of God. Knowing one thing, what? He examines who? The Lamb. And the lamb was perfect. Therefore, I can have confidence and boldness before God. How would that change your prayer life? How would it change your conversation with God if you weren't talking to him about everything you needed to fix in your own life and the things that he, you know he has to be mad at you about? Instead, you started talking about the riches of his mercy and started receiving everything that he has for you. All right, let's continue on, okay? Uh, next verse. Also, there were many priests, this is talking about the Old Covenant, many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. What that's just saying is a priest couldn't be forever because eventually he was human and he was going to die. But he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. This is good news for you and I. This means that he doesn't change from Friday to Saturday to Sunday to Monday. No, he is the same yesterday today and forever, and he is my high priest, and he never changes. I know this is a statement I made probably six or seven months ago, but God never changes his mind about you. Never. His opinion about you today is the same opinion he's going to have about you tomorrow. Now, do ours change about other people? Of course they do. Yes, they do. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through who? Through him, Christ, the high priest, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Next week, we're going to talk about that word intercession. 
And you're like, oh, it's going to be boring. I won't be going next week. (laughs) (laughs) For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separate from sinners, and he has become greater and higher than the heavens. Look at the next set of verses. We're going to keep on going through this until we... Uh, so I'm going to pull some thoughts. Go ahead. Um, next verse. I think I, I, I put the wrong ones there. Okay. 8.1 says this. Now this is the main point of the things that we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated where? At the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary, the true tabernacle. Remember, stay with me. I know these words can get blah, 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 blah. Of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Next verse, verse 4. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Who serve, now this is a whole thing, everything God did in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament had one purpose, to be a shadow or a revealer of who was to come. So when you look at the tabernacle and you look at the priesthood and you look at the tribes that were set and you look at the how the tabernacle was erected and you look at the the mercy seat, all of it was just to be one thing, a symbol of the one who was to come who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, now look at this, this is what God said to Moses, see that you make all things according to the what? Okay, When, when Moses went up to the mountain, what did he receive from God? The Ten Commandments. Did you also know he received something else? This is cool. He received the law... Which what? No one can be perfected by. But he also received what? A pattern of what? The tabernacle. So he said, I'm going to give your people a law. But I also want you to know, no one can fulfill the law. They're going to need a place to now have forgiveness and mercy given them from the very things they're going to break in the law. So not only am I going to show you the law that you're going to give people, but I'm also going to show you a tabernacle that you need to erect for mankind for the forgiveness of the very things they're going to break in that law. And so he already established at the very onset of giving the commandments the very thing that we would need because he knew we were going to break those very commandments. That's pretty cool. To realize that God was not like, I hope you can fulfill them. No, he goes, I know you won't fulfill them. Therefore, I'm going to give you mercy every single year to come to cleanse your conscience and to go back in that next year and try to live according to that law. What verse are we on? Verse 6. But now he has obtained, and this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time, he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is the what? Mediator. So before we saw that he is a guarantee of a better covenant, now he's the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on what? Better promises. The old covenant was established upon the promise. If you do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, I'm going to have to do this. And if you do this, 
I'll do this. If you, eat, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. Transactional. Everything was, that was the promise. If you do this, I'll do this. He says, now Jesus has a more excellent ministry, a better covenant, better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, it says, then no place would have been for a second. So he already knew that the first law, the commandment that was given, is anybody following me still? Okay, good. So if, if he already knew that the first commandment could not what? It could not save somebody. So it's faultless. Okay, now listen to this. This is a quick difference. It's not on the screen, but I want, I want you to hear these words. The old covenant could set the standard but only the new could change the heart. How many, how many times have you ever had a kid do what you say, but their heart was not in what you, they did? And so the law can say, go 35 miles an hour, but it cannot give you the heart that wants to go 35 miles an hour. The cookie jar that you're not supposed to put your hand in does not give you the desire to stay away from it. It actually gives you the desire to explore what that would be like to have a cookie when you're not supposed to, right? And that is why the forbidden is so delightful when it comes to broken marriages. Why? Because somebody goes, ooh, I can't have that. Guess what our hearts want? That. And why did God say there's every tree you could partake of except what? And what's the one that was a temptation? The one that was forbidden. And so the law can set a standard. The law can say, be perfect as I am perfect, says the law. The law can say, be holy. The law can say, be righteous. The law can say, act right. But it cannot change the heart to do those things. Only the new covenant can change my heart so that I can actually walk in the very grace that it needs to fulfill that thing. The old covenant was able to access God's mercy for that day, but the new covenant is the only one that can extend forgiveness eternally. So when the, old, the, 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 the people in the old, te, uh, old covenant, they would come, offer their sacrifice to the priest, the priest would sacrifice that offer, God would go, you know what, they are forgiven. They would walk away and go, I'm forgiven, until the next day when they what? Broke the law. Now they have to live the entire year with what? Guilt and condemnation, knowing they broke the law. That the relationship with God was not right. Now I've been extended forgiveness because of the new covenant freely and forever. Somebody say amen, please. Okay. The old covenant could cover sin, but the new covenant actually sets me free from the bondage and the penalty of sin. I am no longer bound to sin. It no longer has power over any of your lives. And the penalty for sinning has been taken care of by the covenant. The old covenant could only reveal the need for a savior. But Jesus was the only one that could make us righteous. The old covenant, the law, can only reveal that you need a savior. And that is why, think about this, the Old Covenant came with what? A curse. Because the Old Covenant, covenant was de dependent upon our obedience to that law. The New Covenant is based upon one person's obedience and who? 
Jesus. Therefore, there's no curse on my life. He became a what? A curse for me. Now, I'm going to say another strong statement. You don't have to agree with it, but I encourage you to study what I'm saying to you in light of this very statement. In the new covenant, God does not see fault in you. He sees you what? Holy, blameless, unreprovable, and without reproach. Okay. I know that's like, oh, it sounds great, Justin, but it's, if that were true, how would you live? When you woke up in the morning, he sees you how? Holy, blameless, unapprovable, and without any reproach. That would change how I live. Because now I could pray differently to him. I don't have to beg my way into his presence. I don't have to ignore him because of how I haven't lived up to something that I think maybe I should have lived up to. I now can finally relate to God and enjoy the one that has set me free. Okay, eight. We have five more verses, okay? Yeah, good. Thank you, June. Okay, five more verses. Verse eight. There it goes. Because, now remember, we just read that verse number seven. Says It says this, that the old law had been what? It was with fault. Therefore, because of the law, he found what? He found fault with everybody. That's why it was faulty. Because his righteous standard made him look at everybody and goes, Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I didn't mean to do that. That's what the law does. The old covenant makes him look at us and see what? Fault. But when there's a new covenant, he looks at us and he goes, wow, she's mine. She's mine. She's mine. She's mine. He's mine. And now he looks at us with the lights. We are his beloved. Why? Because of one thing, the new covenant that we have with him, that he secured with his own oath, with his own son, and with the son's blood, we now looked or looked at without any single fault. That's amen until we talk about the person you don't like. You're like, oh, me. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when who will make it? I will. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? Clear out, guys. You guys, you guys, you guys can't do this. Let me do this for you. Because I want to relate with you. Remember, think about one word this entire sermon is what? Intimacy. He is giving us an opportunity that we can be intimate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he says, I will make a new covenant with them, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, which he has allowed us to be grafted into that covenant. He says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. Now watch this, the transactional. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. How many of you have not continued with something you vowed you would do toward him. Okay, let's just be honest about that one. In the old covenant, he said, I had to let them into their own ways when they disregarded me because that was how the covenant worked. Now look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that who? 
I will make. Justin, this is nothing about you. This is about me now making a covenant with you that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, and I'm going to put my laws in your heart so you don't have to fulfill something out here. I'm going to place it within your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart that has my laws so that you can guide and live according to my ways. I will put them in my, their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And, uh, and it says, none of them shall teach his neighbor, uh, uh, his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, know the Lord for all will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Look at verse 12. For I, here it is, here's the better covenant with better promises. I am actually now going to be what? Merciful to what? That's a big difference. In the old covenant, there was no mercy given to you for your unrighteousness unless something had to die on your behalf. You were under the wrath and the punishment of God because he was just. But he says under this, this new covenant, I'm going to be merciful to what? Their unrighteousness. Now that's great for you, but what about the person that you don't like? No, think about it because I, I, this is the one thing that comes out of my mouth more often than not now in the times that I talk with many of you in this room. Have you extended the gospel to them? And I felt in my own heart in the last week and a half as Sarah and I are talking about doing certain things um, towards certain people, and I could just see inside of me go, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And that stupid whisper says, you don't deserve it. Will you extend it? No, I don't want to. They don't deserve it. And he says, in the new covenant, I'm actually going to extend mercy to what? Unrighteousness. And here's the good thing. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will never Remember again. So now I get to live a life of freedom from what? Him remembering what I've done. How free is that when you feel like you owe somebody and you go and you go, you know what, uh, I, uh, I owe you $100 for what? Oh man, you, you borrowed it to me like two weeks ago. Man, I have no recollection of me borrowing anything. You're good, man. Don't even give it to me. You're like... That was cool. I hope he doesn't for, I hope he forgets again. God actually, we owe him nothing in return except to receive by faith the wondrous and glorious gospel every single day of your life to go and to live a life of what? Freedom. And when guilt comes and condemnation comes and shame comes and the accusations come, just look at it and smile and go, you know what? No more. I'm done with all you three. You guys go to somebody else's address where they will receive you with open arms because I am no longer guilty. Why? Because I have a new covenant with my father and he says to me, I will remember just in your sins never again. And it says, in this he says a new covenant. He has made the first one obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So why is this covenant better? Because we have a guarantor. Jesus is the guarantee that when he died and he rose again, he stands in between us and the Father and says, I guarantee that what my Father promised you about never remembering the sins, he never will. And I'm your guarantee 
and I will give you even a greater guarantee. I'm going to seal this whole thing by giving you my spirit. And Ephesians 1.14 says it is the Holy Spirit who now is the seal of redemption. So I can walk every single day knowing, Jesus, you sit on the throne today, oh, you guarantee that what God promised me about this new covenant, it's going to be true. You'll never leave me for Satan. Father, I believe that you'll never leave me for say. He guarantees that the payment of all my debt of my sin that I've incurred or ever incurred no longer is against me. He guarantees that I'm going to be secure in his hand. He guarantees that God will never leave me nor forsake me. He guarantees that all that I deserved was received by Christ. He guarantees that. And not only is he a guarantor, he is also a mediator. Now, this is a very important, and we're going to kind of finish up with this last 15 thoughts. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, go, go to the next verse, 1 Timothy, I think it is. Right here, it says, for there is only one God and one who? Who can what? It's okay, take your time. We'll wait for you. Makes it a little bit... A little bit rougher. We cannot come and approach God without a mediator. And what I realize, let me just give you the definition. One who stands in between two people and brings them together. Sarah and I have a mediator every couple of weeks. She goes to the lady more than I do. But at times every marriage needs somebody to help bring each other together, right? One who stands between two people and brings them together. It's one who works to re remove a disagreement and thus serves as a mediator or a go-between or a reconciler. It is a covenant between Jesus Christ and God, and I'm the beneficiary. Now, I, I, I really want to make sure I got this point across. He stands between God and man, and he brings the two together. So man must have a mediator between himself and God. Therefore, I must what? Relate to Jesus in order to relate with God. And that is why this whole thing is about relational before functional. Because Jesus is not about you going, okay, I need to really access God so you know what? No, and let me just say it like this, no amount of effort. No amount of fasting and prayer, no amount of law keeping or Bible study or self-denial or self-improvement can make you sufficiently holy enough to stand with confidence before a presence of a perfect God. There's only one way you can stand before God without any guilt, shame, or condemnation. Have a relationship with Jesus. And how do you have a relationship with Jesus? To receive who he is for you. If you want to know how to have a relationship with a parachute, put the parachute on. You can hug it, you can talk all good things to it, and that plane goes down and you have to jump out. It doesn't matter how well you're hugging that parachute. If it is not on you, you are dead. And the way that I receive Christ is I put him on. I put, it says, the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to have a better life, but to realize that it is all about relationship. So that I can relate freely now with the Heavenly Father. So when Summer brings in a neighbor from the house, she can bring her in the house, and that girl will be treated just like I treat Summer. Why? Because she was Summer's friend. And Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but now I call you 
friends. And he brings us in the presence of God and says, Daddy, look who I have with me. And God now will treat me the same way that he treats Jesus because I'm our friend to Jesus. And it wasn't because I was a super Christian. It wasn't because I read the Bible so much. It was because I trusted in the relationship of Christ. And wherever Christ goes with the Father, I'm allowed to go. Whatever Christ can pray to the Father, I can now pray to the Father. However Christ feels before the Father, I can now feel. It's the gospel. It's a new covenant that we have with God. Ryan, would you please come up? It says this in Romans 5.10. Johnny, this is going to be a few verses beyond Romans 5.10. It says, for if when we were what? So were you reconciled to God after you repented or before? What? When were you reconciled to God? When you were a enemy. For if when we were enemies, we were what? Through the death of his son. Much more now, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We're going to receive communion. And I wanted to share one more thought with you as we receive, because this, to me, helped me understand the transition. Jesus was going to a mountain with Peter and with John. And they walked up this mountain... And the Bible says that he became transfigured. Anybody familiar with the story? He became transfigured and a light began to shine around them. And who appeared on that mountain with Jesus? Moses and... Moses represents who? The law. Elijah represents who? The prophets. On, on this whole gospel, those hinge. The prophets and the, and the law. And Peter said these words to him. Oh, Master. I don't know how he knew who Moses. I don't, I don't know how they didn't have a picture. So I don't know who he, how he knew who these people were. But he said, Master, this is awesome. Let's erect what? Three tabernacles so we can all dwell together. And immediately the, 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 the mountain shook. Jesus became transfigured. And those two were what? Gone. And what we want to do as Christians is we want to mix the law and the old with the new. And Jesus was showing us on that mountain, you know why Moses is gone and the prophets are gone or Elijah? Because there's a new sheriff in town and it's called Jesus who is full of grace and full of truth. And it's now you are to relate with God based 100% upon his grace towards you, not the law and the prophets. And when you try to mix transactional with favor, it never works. When you try to mix self-consciousness and sin with how God sees you, it never works. That's why you have to receive the fullness, it says in first, or John 1.17, the fullness of grace. And it says grace upon grace. It's more than you would ever know. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. To enjoy finally a relationship with God and realize it's not about mixing. It's not about me and Jesus. It's not about how well I behave and how well Jesus did it. No, it's all about what Jesus did. And it's all about who he is for me. He is the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
All I have to do is receive it. So this morning as we, we sing one more song, I'm going to invite you to come on up here. I'm going to ask my dad and Carl to minister the, the elements today. This represents the blood of Jesus Christ that what? Has cleansed you and continues to cleanse you. And it represents the body that was broken for you so that you could have a healed mind. You could be healthy in your emotions, in your body. Why? Because you are a son of God. And so just receive. Before you come up here, before you get out of the seat, don't go, you know what? God, I'm just so unworthy. No, you go, Father, I am putting the parachute on. And I am trusting that what he said in this new covenant that I'm about to embark upon, because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Partake of this new covenant. You're coming up here and going, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me, that you've cleansed me, you've set me free. And as you receive it, just begin to praise him. Just let him know and allow the altar, if you want to fill the altar place, allow the altar to do a place where you actually go, I'm going to believe this. Because if this is true, how would I relate to you, Father? So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that the people, your people, that they had ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. There's a new covenant that we can be a part of. It has nothing to do with us, Father. It has everything to do with what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And he still remains the high priest of our confession. And so I bless every single person. May they receive who you are for them, and what you've done for them so that they can boldly approach your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel free to come up anytime during this song. Feel free to stay up here and pray if you'd like to. Go ahead, Ryan.